Mary's, our special guest today, has been healing our hearts on this podcast since we first saw her on our screens in 2018. She is the winner of Thailand's first drag reality competition from 2014, Tea Battle, the co-host of season one and season two of Drag Race Thailand, Drag Race's first ever franchise series outside of the U.S., the creator and owner of Bangkok's drag bar House of Heels, and if that's all not enough, currently on UK versus the world as, in our humble opinions, a front runner who has all of the other competitors shaking in their boots, or their heels, if you will, Mary's... <laughs> Please welcome to the podcast, Pangina Heels. Welcome. Hi. You did your research and development. Oh, my God. We have a team. We have interns. Yeah. That was like a short, concise biography. I love that. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a lot. You, uh, you have not been sitting on the couch doing nothing. This is uh, really such an honor and so exciting to get to talk to you today. I mean, as... I think we've talked about a little bit on, on Instagram. We have been huge fans of Drag Race Thailand, just screaming its praises just to anyone who will listen. And so, like, this is just beyond that. Now we get to, like, queen out with you today. No, I, I completely love your channel. I've been listening to your podcast, like, many, many times. And I, I'm a fan of your podcast as well. So I'm really happy to be here. And Kiki. All right, Mary. All right, Mary. Yeah, Drag Race Thailand. Uh, it's interesting. You're on UK versus the world. Um, and, you know, you're we, we've seen you make a look this week and we've seen you bring looks last week. Meanwhile, Drag Race Thailand, two seasons of impeccable looks each week like uh, you're 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 you don't think they were impeccable oh i don't God. think all of them i don't think all of them was impeccable let's be real i mean there's a reason that some of them i've sold on ebay or to like someone who likes to you know purchase oh. some outfits so, really? yeah well i That's hope you fair. kept the uh, the mariah carey illusion because that was a classic i think from season two do you remember that you did a, you did a, a Mariah yeah, Carey um, look? Oh, is, oh, is that she's not? She's no longer with me. You don't she's know no her? no longer with me. I'm, I don't know her. I don't know her. <laughs> okay. I take well, it spread back. your wings like a butterfly, Mary. There we go. Right. She is not a vision of love. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Not your fantasy. Okay. Oh, um, God. Pour it out like honey, Mary. Yeah. Nice and slow. All right. <laughs> well, let, let's dive in. Because speaking of divas, you... you yeah. You did mention on the first episode of UK vs. the World, and I've talked about that Lady Gaga has been an inspiration for you. RuPaul has been an inspiration for you. So, like, are there other kind of inspirations or divas or energies that when you're getting into the Pangina Heels uh, fantasy that you kind of draw influence from? Well, it's it's interesting because with drag, there is characterization. Oh, I can't even say that. <laughs> like, you do when people think of drag, there's, like, impersonation or your own character. Um, and when I think of characters that I have to do to impersonate, then I try to fulfill that illusion. Um, whether it's Mariah Carey, Lady Gaga, um, Beyonce, Barbara Streisand, Judy Garland, or, you know, like whenever I try to create the illusion of those characters, I study them like insanely. Like for example, if I was to do um, one character that it's like Marilyn Monroe, I would look up her biography. I would see when she's angry. I would see when she's mad. I would try to dig as hard as I can to understand about who that person is so that it can come out of me effort effortlessly. Um, like when I was doing like a character like Medusa, 
the entire week I would eat only eggs so that I would oh, feel God. like a snake. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, that's some method acting right there. Wow. <laughs> I kinda right. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you looking in the mirror and checking out how like what comes fo- it is okay? For sure, for mm-hmm. sure. And like everyone's angles of their faces, like left or right, depending which angle, looks more like that character. And then I would like think of the audience as a camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you're getting into drag, because I've heard other drag queens talk about like, you know, and everyone has a different process and some kind, you know, I think RuPaul has like a six hour process that involves the Golden Girls and lots of kikiing. I guess uh-huh. that's what you can do at that level. But I've also heard like as queens are getting into drag, there's a certain stage where it's like, ah, there she is. She's shown up. Have you had that where it's like there's a moment where now that the look is complete or like what's the kind of when does the transformation happen, I guess, is the question. When the lights are on. Fair enough. Um, Oh, I I know this question. It's because like I've heard so many queens answer it. It's like, oh, once the blush is on my cheekbones, I feel like a girl. And with me, it's like, no, when when the camera starts filming or when... when I have to perform, then I feel like it. Yes, I can feel the illusion with the hair. And most of the time is the hair. Uh-huh. But um, not a specific moment. Not really, no. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's exactly why. Because I've heard those interviews where queens are like, and then suddenly uh-huh. I put the lashes on and there she is. So that's that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, because then then they give you kind of like this fantasy where like, suddenly with the lashes, I have a vagina. Yeah, and it's totally. like, for me, it's, it's so different with each person. It's like, okay, for example, when I put my Mariah Carey on, I don't feel the fantasy or the illusion until I have my hair, like my wig, my straight long wig on. Right. But with Medusa, I feel the fantasy once um, I start wiggling my tongue like a snake. So it's like mm-hmm. different. Right, right. I, that makes sense. Yeah. So in terms of influencing your drag, I wanted to just give you a moment if you felt like you had things to share about Siri Soda. Oh, you mean like my drag sister slash mother, right? Yes. Sira, yeah. So um, she's been a big drag influence on me. She has literally paved the way for a lot of queens. She opened the doors for a lot of queens. Um, <laughs> if you get that reference. Yes, I do. Um, Gia. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> for her to be able to open those doors, I am now able to run out of a window. So with her, um, I think with her, she always like taught me how to do makeup. She's always been very giving. Um, and the way she learned from her drag mother was so interesting because she learned from a trans showgirl. And she would make Sarasota lie down and do her makeup and would not teach her anything but to ask her to feel how the paintbrush is um, touching her face. And that's all she does. So um, with Sarasota, she has... Actually, her she has so many fucking names. Like I don't, Jai Sira, Sira Variety, Sira Madonna, Jai Madon. Like I, I can't even keep track with how many names she has. But I think Sira Variety. That's one of her names as well. Um, and she was. Um, I think she got well known from Australia when she won this big drag competition, and. With, when it comes to makeup, she can change into like a billion different characters. Um, and she's taught me so much. So I really do value her as um, an inspiration. 
and that was at the that was years ago that was like right after college yeah wow yeah so you know we we ran through your extensive biography of of experiences on tv and in drag at the top of the interview but uh it's worth you know mentioning a tea battle you know thailand dance now lip sync battled do you feel like those experiences have influenced either you as a co-host on Drag Race Thailand or a contestant on UK versus the world? Well, as a contestant as well, yes, but also as a human being. Mm-hmm. Like, tea battle is probably the hardest experience that anyone has ever need to be able to endure. Like, no one really asks about tea battle, number one, because they don't do their research and development like you guys, but <laughs> number two, it's not seen by a lot of people. So in that reality show, the first day that I was entering the competition, I broke my leg. Oh my God. So I was in a wheelchair for eight weeks and the competition was 12 weeks. I had to learn how to walk again in that competition. And not only did I was dancing in a wheelchair, because think about it, psychologically and mentally, I was really proud of being a dancer. And I was like, most of the teachers who are teaching me are some of them are my students or they're my colleagues. So when they're teaching me, I'm like, I got this. And then suddenly the first day go into the competition, your confidence, everything is shattered. Yeah. You no longer have the ability to walk or go to the bathroom by yourself. Someone has to take me to shower. And because we're filmed 24 hours a day, the contestants like Candy Cyanide and Mini Minaj, who was the first one who left the competition, would take me to the bathroom. So in that, it taught me humility. It taught me humbleness. And I promised myself, was like, one day if I become successful out of this competition, I'm going to take care of these girls the way mm-hmm. they took care of me in the moment, in the time of need. Wow. So that broke me down as a person completely because if you're no longer able to even walk, you no longer have an ego. Right, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm just thinking if if we had a season of of competition television where one of the contestants was in a wheelchair for eight weeks and had to learn to walk again and dancing was like a central part of the, that that would be legendary television. That is incredible. I would love to track that down. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm glad you recovered. Not the breaking your leg part, but the recovering part. Yeah, like once I broke my leg, the 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 show producers, one of them was just like, "We need to get her out." And I was crying so loud in the hospital to try to make a scene to be like, "You can't take me out," because at that time, this competition was the biggest thing in terms of the queer community. Like, it was the biggest competition. So I was like, I made it this far, besides the entire country. Um, and I made it to the top 20, I think, no, top 14. And I was like, I'm not going to let like a broken leg break down my spirit. Yes, my body might be broken, but my spirit will never be. So I ended up being in the competition for eight weeks, learned how to walk again, then started to learn how to dance again. And then I end up winning. <laughs> yeah. What were the challenges like along the way? Oh, oof, it was it was very tough. Like, you know, most competitions and I'm not. Well, I'll say what it is. Okay. Like, we had to clean our own houses. We have to clean every single thing. We had we had chores to do. So it wasn't just like a reality TV show where you had like a nice hotel. We had to clean the toilets. We had to clean the floors. We had to clean the windows. We had to clean everything that we lived in um, while being filmed 24 hours a day. Um, 
And whenever we had shows every single week, we had to use our costumes or make our own costumes to a certain degree. So it was tough. And the house was haunted. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, that is incredible. I wasn't expecting that twist. No. <laughs> I love that. Wow. The house had two ghosts. One of them was male, who was kind of nice. And then the <laughs> female one was kind of crazy. So even the instructors saw the ghost. Everyone felt the ghost. Like when we were sleeping in the beds and we were sleeping in a dormitory, the female ghost would run through our legs at night and we would wake up. Like oh. no joking. That like this is just China, my mind is blown. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> wow. Wow. Ugh. Well, but, folks, if you've learned nothing yeah, else no. today from this interview, there is a show out there called Tea Battle that's doing more than we've ever seen. It's haunted house meets dance competition meets inspiring recovery story. I'm just overwhelmed. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was difficult. Yeah. 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 Gosh! Wow. Well, you made it to you made it to the end and won. What when you after you won? What happened to your career? Well, I think a lot of people got to know me more after the competition. And with most competitions, that I've learned is that it can only propel you so much. If you don't have like a hard work ethic, if you don't continue to market yourself as a drag queen, not a lot of people will. And so. Even with that success, I always had that thing in my mind. It was like, you can't stop hustling. You have to keep working. It doesn't matter if today you don't get paid. Tomorrow you might get paid. And I was starting in my career. And with the first two years of my career, I didn't get paid because I was just trying to get seen. Mm. Um, and because of that work ethic, I felt like then more people got to see me. And then I was able to, over time, make a demand over what I wanted, of what I deserved. Is I, right now the trend, because uh, of virtual drag and just kind of like, I don't know how, the internet just kind of exploded over the past six years. Were, were you kind of marketing yourself and doing things, connecting online? I know Maggie Chews is a part of your history. Um, is It was. It was okay. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you performing just out all the time? Is that how you kind of kept it up? How did you keep it up? Because I was performing every single Sunday, and I was doing these um, like stand up and like a comment, like a roasting. L literally, I can roast people for like hours, and that's like when I say like, "Oh, baby Jesus exists." Because when people start roasting me, and I have the microphone, I'm like, "Thank you, God, you exist." <laughs> Now it's my turn. <laughs> and like, I love that because people don't understand that this is what I was born to do is still, it's literally to cut people with my words. Um, and I don't <laughs> think Thailand was really ready for that in the beginning. Cause I, um, the one time when I was hosting at Maggie shoes, someone came with a hitman. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Two hitmen. Yeah. So I had to go to the police, file a report. And that's not the last time that something like that happened. So if you're a drag queen, you better know how to run fast. Yeah. Oh, well, in heels. Yeah. In heels, wow. no less. In heels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think, I mean, that, of course, brings me to how did you or when did you get involved with Drag Race Thailand? When did when at what point of the of that project were you brought on? Um, actually, before the show happened, I was approached like two to three years 
And I was like, well, it's an amazing opportunity. I was really excited. And then it was quiet. And then like three months before we filmed, they were like, oh, by the way, we're filming. And I was like, what? Actually, it wasn't even three months. It was like a month before. Wow. It was like, a, it was literally like a month and a half before. And they were like, oh, we're going to film. It's happening. I was like, uh, okay, I don't have any outfits. Um, oh my God. And when they said that, I was really shocked because it was like, okay, why did you choose me? But then mm-hmm. I value the paycheck, so I didn't ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, they want me to be the judge. And I was like, okay, then maybe if people were asking me, like, why were you eligible? I would say in terms of visibility, I was one of the main drag queens working actively in the scene. I was one of the queens who would host as well and be on the mic and spoke English and spoke different languages. So it kind of helped with, you know, carrying a show that is international. Did you know Art Aria already at that point or did you guys meet through Drag Race Thailand? I met her once, didn't like her at all. I was like, this person had way too much Botox and still it's not enough. Um, <laughs> didn't like her at all. I didn't like her energy. Her resting bitch face was just her bitch face. So I really didn't care for her. Um, so when I actually got to meet her on the show, I was like, don't like this person still. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, I, I'm assuming either you two worked out your differences or it's just a love-hate relationship. It's like if your mother passed away and, like, you love her, but you don't want her to come back and haunt you. <laughs> so you kind of have that relationship with her, but she scares the shit out of you. Like, if you're asleep and she's like, who are you dating? And you're like, mom, stop it. <laughs> right. So I think that's sums up my relationship with Art Arya, but I didn't like her until the end of season one. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my Took gosh. Well, now I'm going to rewatch all of season one through that lens. <laughs> <laughs> what was the turning point? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we were at DragCon, our first DragCon, and she was like, well, what are you wearing? And I was like, well, I didn't bring much clothes. And she was like, I'll bring you something. And then when I went into her hotel room, she was ironing um, one of the shirts for me. And I remembered so distinctly, like I had a tear down my face. I was like, if this person didn't care for me or she didn't really love me, she would not be ironing my shirt. Mm-hmm. And maybe I just misjudged her. So at that point, I was like, wow, she's very motherly. She has really good intentions and I've been hating her so much because I did not understand my own relationship to fashion. And I've always hated what it feels like to be a fashion girl because I always love my relationship to fashion before Art Aria was just costumes. And mm. that's not a bad thing at all, completely, because I've had a, a good career knowing costumes for so long, but I didn't understand what it meant to truly understand fashion. And that's and why I, just, I yeah. resented her. Oh yeah. wow. wow! Wow! What a wow. what a little growth opportunity. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's interesting. I think about the idea that drag race franchises in general, there's usually only one drag queen on the panel. Uh, even with uh, RuPaul seasons, they, they don't even have drag queens often as guests. And to have Drag Race Thailand come onto the scene first and have two drag queens co-hosting, 
I, I guess I, it didn't even occur to me that there might be something of a, a budding of a heads of different perspectives kind of coming together, um, different uh, perspectives on drag that would maybe, uh, you know, maybe not come out on screen, but be backstage. Um, I think with season one, it was a lot of juggling of the power dynamic. Mm. Um, obviously, Art was the head bitch. Um, and I was like her co-host, like everyone said. And when there was a lot behind the scenes that whenever she would pick a photo, I was like, I don't like that photo. Why you chose that photo? But then when we were filmed, um, a lot of the times I would have my opinion, but she would also have hers. And after the whole season was over, we kind of clicked in a way that we no longer have to talk to understand each other. Like she would give me a look or I would give her a look and it would be like, do it. And even mm -hmm. till today, she's one of my favorite people in the entire world. Mm. Like with Drag Race UK versus the world, like she helped me styled every single outfit. Um, <sighs> I don't think I've mentioned that before. Actually I did, but it was all in Thai. But she, like that's why there was an, a fashion edge to every single thing that I brought to the runway. And it wasn't just one dimensional, it had meaning. And um, it was so thought out because she is, in my opinion, a fashion genius. Mm. So a uh, very specific question, not to yeah. jump the gun to UK versus the world, because I still want to talk about Thailand. But yeah. I have to ask, was it your decision or her decision for the Ferragamo scarf in the hunting look? It was her. She borrowed, a, she was able to borrow a real scarf from Salvatore Ferragamo. And she wow. was like, you better not get a stain on this. <laughs> it was so expensive that I literally put it on. Once I took it off, I was like, are there any stains? I'm so afraid. Because she was like, it's borrowed, bitch. Um, and you better dry clean it as well. And I was like, can I just wash it in the washer? She was like, fuck you. Right. So, that was her reply. It's like, if you thought you were haunted on tea battle, she was going to haunt you even worse. If anything happened to that scarf. Oh. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, even speaking of haunting, she was just like, I made a really nice face mask for you when you come back after the first week because you're going to like dishonor your entire ancestors and your family if you come back on the first week. So yeah, I have that mask for you so that no one can recognize who you are in Thailand. Oh and I was God. like, well, that's nice. And then a week goes by and she was like, I've made it out of metal now so that no one can really see your face. Oh my God. You know, it's so funny because I feel like we see that on the season. I think you and Janie talked about being there to represent your countries. And and it, I feel like it's it, it's true for you more than anyone. There's really someone waiting at home with a shame mask in case you do wrong, do poorly. It's it's very motivating. Ghost of Art Aria. I you know, uh speaking of that runway, that um the hunting queen runway, um mm. one of the things just to kind of bring it back to Thailand, um one of the things in particular across the board on the Drag Race Thailand seasons were for the most part, all of those runways were very performative and they had reveals and gags and special effects. And in, in our opinion, just was like 18 levels up 
from the Drag Race US seasons. And not to shade the Drag Race US seasons, it's just, it's just so different when you watch those seasons. And I wonder if this is like standard practice in the drag community in Thailand, or were the contestants kind of encouraged to really amp it up for each week? Here's the thing, with Drag Race is a phenomenon in the West. In America, drag queens are known to be celebrities. They're known to be idolized. They're known to be adored artists. In Thailand, I would say like even like five years ago, there is not a show that respect drag queens as a human being as an, and as an artist. We're usually portrayed as the funny character, the sexual deviant, or um, someone who we laugh at. So when a show comes along that gives you the honor and the integrity of a human being and show different sides of you more than the best friend or the butt of the joke, you will take this opportunity to showcase everything that you are. Mm. And that's why we all, um, I'm not sure we, but all the girls felt like this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Because even if they go on other shows, whether it's a singing show, there's always that typecasting or pigeonholing of the characterization of that person. Whether, oh, you know, she's so sexual, or oh, she is um, always the funny person, but not with this. This is getting to showcase every part of who you are or more parts of who you are. So that's why they try to level up. And even with me and Art, it was like every single week we get a chance to show who we are on a show we love. We better bring it. Like if the budget, for example, was like $100 for the costumes, like, for example, yeah, Art would spend like 300 on her earrings alone. It's really interesting, you know, kind of featuring the humanity of these people on the show and how that was relatively new. I've heard one of the queens from Drag Race Italia talked about similarly, like the the importance of the season culturally and, and representation on TV. And I think in particular with Thailand, I mean, I think we both can say like, I no season of Drag Race has made me more emotional than Drag Race Thailand. And so like, it's so, I think, accomplished that goal of showing these people as humans because we saw them performing, we saw them be funny, we saw them be fierce, but we also saw like, so much like pride in, in what they do and so much love and support for each other. And like, I mean, you know, we talk about this often just, you know, in season two, the, the lip sync for the musical episode when Angela and um, kind of warrior lip synced and it was this big emotional moment in the series. And like, I still can't watch that lip sync without crying. And so I, I, I love that. Like there was a real intention to show the humanity there. Yeah. I think, why it was so emotional because it was so selfless of Kana and she was just like you know you deserve it more um and with like a competition we had to be like wake her up and be like yes despite that you have to understand that you cannot just give up mm -hmm. yes I understand where you're coming from but you really need to fight for your your own legacy as well what does that say about you if Yes, you do feel like the other person's more worthy, but you just give up. Yeah. It won't be great on you. Yeah. Right, right. And I don't, there was like, a, I think Anjali saying like, as if like, do me the the honor, be my friend and mm -hmm. like do this with me. And I, there was just a, a, a level of just kind of connection. I feel a lot of the international franchise ha franchises have 
And maybe it's because the U.S. version of Drag Race has become such a machine or a different energy or a different cultural point, you know, approach. But like, I saw this with Spain, with Italy, with Thailand. There's like, it feels like there's a reverence to it all that I don't really see on the U.S. version. I haven't seen all the seasons of Drag Race from the U.S., but I do know one thing is that it does create so much inspiration for queens from overseas. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't be able to become a drag queen today if I didn't see Raja, mm -hmm. if I didn't see Angina, if I didn't oh. see Jujubee. Just that representation of someone who looks like me, someone who um, is a drag queen, who is Asian, or even someone who I can relate to, like Jinx Monsoon, Bianca Del Rio, and someone who was human and is just so super talented, and were themselves, mm -hmm. gave us the opportunity to be brave and become ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah, I love that. As I continue to love on Drag Race Thailand, one of the things <laughs> I, I noticed as part of that franchise that I don't see as much with all the others is during the runways, the, the amount of like yelling and encouragement and enthusiasm from the judges panel. I, I love that. Was that, how did that happen? We don't see that on the other ones and it brings so much Sure, you were the 1%. Of really? uh, the majority. Really? People that... didn't like that? It felt like I was at a drag show with y'all. It was so uh -uh. engaging. I really? guess you were not reading the comments. No, um, no, we weren't. <laughs> well, I think one of the main reasons I kind of had to tone it down was because of all the comments I was reading, um, especially, I think, I guess it was in Thailand. Um, where people was like, shut the fuck up, I can't hear. Um, or it was just like, she's so loud and annoying. And I was like, I know, I'm aware. But the thing with drag shows is that you always want to give energy. And I think with season two, then I, 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 I was kind of like hesitant. And I only did it on certain occasions. But, you know, I don't want to be annoying to any audience while trying to still be me. But right. you go to a drag show and everyone's like crickets. What the fuck? Exactly. Awful. Right? Ridiculous. No, you have to interact. I think it gives energy to the person walking the runway. And as a viewer, I loved hearing the judges interpretation um yeah. specifically like season two i know um like the rainbow runway or the old to young uh, or uh, old to young runway or young to old um there like there were just things to interpret there was uh things to figure out that weren't so literal that were you know there were metaphors there was art on the stage and i just yeah. appreciated it so much yeah um i think Part of cheering a contestant on is to make noise. It's to, for them to feel that we're rooting for them and that they know the energy we're giving to them and they, that they can feel it and maybe sometimes perhaps perform better. Right. So whenever I go to a drag show, I'm never that, I'm never that person to be like quiet. Um, I'm always like tipping the girls and I'm always like screaming for them because drag ain't easy. It's 90% of the time, very painful. Number two, they are trying to create that illusion and that fantasy for you. So literally they're giving out kindness. And for you to not be kind back to them, that's just disrespectful. Yeah, that is, it's just like enthusiastic kindness. I totally agree. Um, yeah. There yeah. was there was one, uh, I think it was, it was one of the runways with a reveal. And I think, it, you know, 
a line that we have quoted on the podcast repeatedly of yours ever since we saw it. I think it was Vanda walking the runway and she was about to do a reveal and you were kind of saying quietly, don't be pretty, don't be pretty, don't be pretty. And I think it was like about don't do the obvious. And so we uh, we have said, don't be pretty, don't be pretty, don't be pretty so many times you should get commissioned for it. But like, <laughs> can you talk about that moment? As, as queens from Thailand, we have been stigmatized for a couple of things. One of the things is that we don't give body and we're going to talk about that, mm. that we don't give body or we're stuck with being pretty. We're mm -hmm. so stuck with trying to create that illusion of being feminine or a girl that we're no longer able to be other characters. And that's why my butch queen for me or my cat was so important to me was that I want people to know that I can do other things too. I can be other characters and that I am a goofball and that I have more to me than trying to look pretty. Like, first of all, thank you for saying that I look pretty because I mean, it's a compliment, but I'm not stuck in that. Don't put me in a box that I didn't put myself into. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the, the girls, we are so stigmatized by that, that we sometimes can't get out of that. And we're mm -hmm. so, we're so comfortable with, okay, if we know that we're going to do the pretty face, our pretty face, we're going to be tipped more. Why should we come out looking like Pennywise? Right, right, right. Yeah. You, you know what the economics are of the decision. Yeah. Exactly. If you know that if we're going to do a dip or what most people incorrectly call this as a death drop, mm. why should you go out and do a ballard? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And in my You're opinion, that is such right. And in my opinion, that is not accepting all types of drag. Because someone serving a fierce ballad, a powerful ballad, is equally to me as great as someone doing a dip or a high energy number. It's just we're so conditioned to wanting a girl to jump out and do a split every Ugh. fucking time we see a performance. And I'm like, right. I can do that. But because you expect me to do that every single time, you don't want to see me do a powerful ballad. I am yeah. more capable of doing just that if you allow me the chance. Yeah. Yeah. If you're sitting in the audience and you're you're there for that experience. I mean, I think of two examples, like the first one on t television. Um, we loved, praised on season two of UK, Tace and uh, was it Cherry Valentine did Memory. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, what a perfect example of somebody just giving face and like causing a commotion with just her face and then right. there's uh there's that show nightgowns that tours uh sasha velour uh heads it and it can get really heavy and it's still and it's it's a chance for audience members and uh, i guess even the performers to to do something else besides the yas queen and 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 screaming and and hollering whenever the, somebody does a split uh, mm -hmm. and waiting for a reveal you know i think if we're more open to different types of drag, like literally some of my most memorable performance, and I'll tell you, it was in Thailand. This girl did the Pearl Harbor song, There You'll Be. Mm. And she put her hands up while the song like uh, sings about her lover who was a pilot. And I can literally see the plane. 
it was so powerful and I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it. It was because if only we allow so many different type of performers and tip the queens, not just because that they would do a split, then we would see a different variety of queens. That's why I love girls from Dracula. I love girls who are um, experimental. I love all types of drag. It's because I want you to challenge me and not what mm. I think drag should be. You tell me what drag should be, and that's why it's fun. It's interesting as I'm hearing you talk about uh, just your perspective on drag and, and all of that. As as a co-host, you, I wonder if you had any influence as a co-host on those two seasons of Drag Race Thailand, because there was so much to what was presented that I felt was just fresh and new. Is there anything that you contributed that you are specifically proud of in terms of your perspective on drag? You mean what I contributed to the girls or what they contributed to me? I mean, either, but really you to the girls. I don't know. You got to ask them because okay. they never told me. Um, <laughs> um, with, with with the girls of what they do, I think it was more interesting to see their perspective on it. So I don't like when people like, oh, Pangina, you wore that mermaid dress. So now I'm going to wear that mermaid dress because we know you like that mermaid dress. I think one hard thing about me as a person is that all my mentors are hard asses. Mm -hmm. Like Sarasota, like she would only give me one compliment a year. So I never looked <laughs> to a person for a compliment. And that's how I am with people that hopefully ask me for their guidance or um, classes. I would be like, well, you need to work harder. I'm not going to give you all that ooh-ah-ahs because no one gave it to me and I survived. And that's something I had to learn is that sometimes I need to be less hard because I'm very hard on myself. And over the years, I was like, sometimes it sugar works better than salt. <laughs> you know, in terms of things you have created and, and your influence on, on the girls and drag in general, I, I feel like a lot of people listening may not be familiar with House of Heels. I know you, you'd mentioned in the first episode of UK versus the world that you had a club and I, you know, would love to just kind of have a little space to talk about what is House of Heels, you know, what kind of space is it? Um, what's the history of it? Well, I was really inspired when I was in Canada, um, a very legendary queen called Mado. Um, you know, um, she had her own club and people would come from all over the world. They, um, they have this huge three stories, um, uh, statue of her in the front and I was like that is my ultimate dream mm -hmm. I went down to her dressing room and it was just like clothing everywhere that's like a huge drag closet um, where queens are just so happy to be in an establishment where they value the queens because it was owned by a queen mm -hmm. I've worked over 10 years in the nightlife industry where People, not not every time, but sometimes not necessarily value the drag queens, but they just want the pink dollar. They know mm -hmm. like the, the people would come and spend. Sometimes the music is connected from the internet and the songs would get cut off. Sometimes we would have a torch light instead of being lit properly. Most of the times we wouldn't have a stage. Sometimes the patrons would pull our wigs from our heads. So there was no level of respect for the queens because it wasn't enforced. So mm -hmm. when I saw Mado, I was like, I want to create a place where people come 
and respect the queens and see them for what they are and what they can be. So when I created the House of Heels, I made sure I talked to the security guards. Of like, if anyone touches the queens, they're out. Number mm-hmm. one. Number two, no one is going to disrespect my queens. Number three, this is a safe space for everybody. I do not want any gay men to talk negatively to women because sometimes mm-hmm. that does happen. They're like, I've heard many times where people are like, girls who come in and are like, oh yeah, that gay guy just said like, it's our space. This is not your space, get out. And I'm like, how dare you? We yeah. were persecuted to not having a safe space for so long. Let's not create another cycle of hatred. So for me, I was like, welcoming space for everybody. Yes, this is mm. a gay-friendly space. It's run by mostly gay people, but we gotta, we gotta do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, we've talked about that so many times over the years. That like the misogyny in the gay community is, it it doesn't make any sense, but it really it it's rampant. And you know, we throw around bachelorette parties at gay bars and whatnot, but it it's so much more than that. And it's just so complex and it's not on the bachelorettes necessarily. It's, um, it's interesting to hear that, that, that happens equally in Thailand as well. Yeah. I think, I think most drag queens would know and agree with me that our worst nightmare are bachelorette parties. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. I can't even imagine. (laughs) Like you see her coming in with her friends and the, and the special day. Right. Right. (laughs) With the plastic necklaces and the big drinks and the hats. And it's like, Oh shit. It's her special day. It's not. (laughs) That is exactly how I feel. And there's like two types of bachelorette parties. The good ones and the Becky ones. Like, <laughs> Becky ones. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you change your approach or is it just like, all right, we just have to endure mm. this? If I'm in if if I'm hosting the show versus if I'm in the audience, if I'm in the audience, I get my popcorn ready because I know shit's about to go down. Yeah. Like when they walk in, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a good night. But yeah. if I'm working, I make sure I talk to security. <laughs> right, right. Right. I love that it's a good night if you're in the audience. It's not a great night if you're the host. Yeah. Who is so awkward? You can cut that tension with like a steak knife. You know, <laughs> you've been to enough bachelorette parties in drag shows where they were like, but it's my night. I'm getting married. I'm like, well, you'll probably get married more than once and you'll do this party again and right, we'll right. be here. Yeah, yeah. So, but so what makes yeah. a good you bachelorette know. party? What would be like? Okay, how how can bachelorettes do a better job of going to drag shows? I think one of my favorite bachelorette parties I had, which was at one of my shows, is that all the bridesmaids dress up as drag queens. <gasps> They tipped so heavily. They mm. made sure the bride was drunk out of her mind, and I end up was able to be the MC of their wedding. Oh my God. That's awesome. They, that was so funny. They were like, we really love your personality. We kind of wanted you to be the MC of the wedding. And I'll tell you why it was not only a good bachelorette party and why it was a good wedding. And this was, I've done so many weddings in my career. I think like over 30, oh, if wow. any. And this was still by far one of my favorite wedding. And this is why. I got to host the ceremony at a high-end 
hotel, five-star hotel, bear in mind, there were like, you know, like seniors, dignitaries, whatever. And the bride started the wedding um, with a slideshow of the groom doing stupid shit. And the groom showed a slideshow of the bride with shitty makeup application <laughs> with a caption that. saying that I love you despite you looking like Angry Bird. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so they took turns roasting each other. Right. And oh, by the right. time it was 9 p.m., the bride got the mic from my hand and said, if you're over 40 years old, get the fuck out. <laughs> wow. Wow. No I've joke. never wanted, I've never cheered for a couple more to, to work out than that couple. That's incredible. Right? Yeah. That is a couple I want to be. And yeah. once, uh, because once you heard the bride said, get the fuck out, all the older people left and it was just her friends. And then she was like, tequila shots. And so everyone had to do tequila shots and they were roasting each other all night. And I was like, this is the kind of wedding I want to have. Yeah, I can believe in marriage now if that's how it's going to look. That's great. <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> right? Where it's legal, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's legal. Oh, my God. Oh, I love all of this. Um, I do want to ask one kind of final question about Drag Race Thailand before we kind of go on to other topics. Just to put a squash on it, Pangina Heels, All Right, Mary. What's is there any news about season three of Drag Race Thailand? You tell me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mary's listening. Stop asking. Nobody yeah. knows. Here's, here's the thing. I think when you hope for good things and you believe in it and you and you kind of like keep talking about it and you imagine it, it is bound to happen. That's been the way I lived my life. I mean, we'll talk about it more after we go into Drag Race UK versus the world, but there are things that I could not imagine myself to be able to think that it was possible. And all of those things happened within one month because I kept talking about it, I kept visualizing it, and I went and like literally kicked down doors and tell people that I deserve this to happen and it needs to happen and this is why. Mm, wow. I love that because I feel like a lot of people you know, they really want to believe in like manifesting things and making it happen. But I feel like you're bringing up a really important point. It there's there's this book called The Artist's Way that, you know, it kind of talks about being blocked creatively. And there's a line from that that says, like, the bus is coming, but you still have to run for the bus. And so, <laughs> you know, these things will happen. But you're talking about you still got to go down and bust the doors down. You still have to get in front of people. And I think that's a big missing part of manifesting. You're a, you have to be a very active part of that. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'll share like a really short story. Like growing up, I was um, a very overweight, unconfident, soft-spoken Asian. And I always thought that I wanted to walk in a real fashion show one time, at least just one time. And there was this casting call and I went to the casting call in drag and was able to walk in one of their biggest fashion show because I showed up to that uh casting because I was in drag because I said to myself I deserve this opportunity you your fashion show will be better with me in it and mm -hmm. so a lot of people would never be able to get that opportunity if they don't even think to go to the casting number one or think that they deserve it or that they're worthy so I keep telling everyone go for all the opportunities because all they can say is no 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't stop. Don't sit on the couch and stop yourself. At right. least let them say no. Yeah. At least get some feedback. Right. Yeah. 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 Is no going to kill you? You know? No. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's not. Hopefully I have not. to remind myself of that. I'm terrified of no and of, you know, rejection or critiques. And I just think there's there's so much like it's incredible how much we can just build the wall ourselves of like, oh, no, no, I could never do that because I'm scared, you know? And also just to add on with you, I think there is such power in the word no. Not with other people rejecting you, but you rejecting other people as well. Mm. There, mm. there will be times in your life when people ask you to do certain things that take away at your own humanity and your artistry. And you have to say no in order for you to feel good about it. When did you learn that? Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're giving me an Oprah aha moment. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's I love that. You have to remember, like, as much as you can be afraid of other people saying no, there's also, like, being empowered by your own ability to say no. And maybe that affects right. your relationship with hearing it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. A lot of the times, because people don't understand what drag is and they don't know what we do, they're like, well, just hire any drag queen. They're the same. And mm -hmm. I would have to, like, speak up and tell them, no, this is my rate. If you don't pay me this, I won't do it. You can't ask me just because I'm there and in drag to perform another number without giving me more money. Or you can't think that um, because I'm a drag queen, I enjoy doing this just because you, you want me to entertain out of kindness or because I'm happy to do it. Mm -hmm. Value the artistry. Value mm -hmm. the queens. Yeah. Mm. Oh, preach, preach. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about what's happening now. And yeah. I, I think getting to now, what was the journey to UK versus the world that you can tell us? How did you, as a co-host, find your way as a contestant? I, I know just from um, hearing you speak and things that you've said that you've always wanted to be a contestant and this was an opportunity to do it. Can you speak to that? I think when you've had a dream for so long, you're afraid to dream it because you don't think that it's possible. And when I became a judge, I was like, well, those doors are closed for me. I can no longer be a contestant because why would they even pick me? And a lot of the times when you're watching the show, you were like, I could have done that or I could have done that better or I would have done this. Well, now this is my opportunity to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. It's just it's an opportunity that I've never thought that I would be able to do. And it's something that was greater than my imagination. So when it does happen, when it did happen, I was like, I'm living the testament of what it is to never give up on your dreams. Mm. I'm literally my own embodiment of what it feels like to never give up on loving something so hard so true that one day your dreams does happen. I feel like that's so scary to like pursue the thing you want the most and just, and it's right. easier to decide, oh yeah, that can't happen. It's too big. I want it too much. So that's, right. I love that we're now witnessing it right now. It's awesome. Yeah. Was it, was it something that you had to say, Hey, I'm available for this. Like, did you have to, like, did you know the show was happening or what was that process? I got the call. 
And then once I got the call, it was like, I am dropping every single thing in my entire life yeah. for this. Mm. This is what you've been waiting for for 11 years of doing drag. But not wow. just 11 years, but 33 years you've been on this earth. This is the ultimate biggest thing you've ever dreamed of in your entire life. So when I got the call, um, I was in quarantine in my country house um, because literally during the COVID outbreak, I was living with nature because I was so afraid to go out and it was just a horrible situation. And once I got the call, I was like, well, I'm going to drop everything in my life and become a student again. Mm, I yeah. called up every single person I know in the industry all the connections I had over 11 years and tell them I'm going to be your student now. I know how to do makeup. I know how to do hair. But today I am an empty glass willing for you to fill me so that I know the basics of every single thing that I thought I knew. Hmm. And you had talked about like preparing for the show is where you learned how to sew. Is that correct? Yes. And I did and not know how to sew before the show. And then there you were hand sewing with a push, with a push pin cushion on your wrist, hand sewing. I'm just like, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen a queen. The high drag of that. Oh my God. I could watch you hand sew on that show all day. It's just so. Turn I it into that. a gift, Mary. Yeah. I love that you're like, I went from never sewing to hand sewing. It's just incredible. Well, because like I have OCD, like really bad OCD. Like if you give me like, a naked bodysuit and like 5,000 jewels, it will be on there. Like, right, right, right. I love it so much. You have no idea mm. because it's so meditative and therapeutic. So with sewing, it's the same thing for me. Um, and I love using my hands. And you should see my hands after that challenge. Yeah, I'm sure. It Just... was rough. Right, right. Like it Cheryl cut her finger open, but we didn't see your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Mary. Well, it you know, we can't, ima we can't imagine the amount of pressure you might have felt representing uh, the Drag Race Thailand family on such an international stage. How did you manage that pressure during filming? Were there, like, other queens to commiserate with? Um, well, there's this kind of level of pride when you come from Thailand. Like, because not only are we, like, come from a system that we're so into pageantry, but we have this... Com com camaraderie and this nationalist kind of feeling of being so proud of, as Thai people. Like every single day, we listen to the the national anthem at eight o'clock and six. I think I think it's five or six p.m. at um, in the evening, and everyone has stopped walking. Mm. So there's this thing that's instilled in our minds that we have to be proud, and we are proud of our country. So. Going into this, I was on so much pressure. Like the night before going to the competition, I was just crying for an hour because I was like, you gon' not make them proud of you. Mm -hmm. And once I walked the runway as Miss Universe Thailand from 1988, I was just like, no, don't forget that you need to represent yourself. Mm, yeah, You have people behind you rep like backing you up but you got to do you as well because if the judges don't see you, they won't see who's backing you. What was the moment like, kind of like before you walk into the workroom where you know like, okay, this is as far as the audience is concerned, my first moment on this season. 
did that stand out or were at that point you just in the process of filming? Honestly, I didn't process any of it (laughs) because it was so, it was so surreal. Like even walking down the runway, I was like, oh, who is this? Oh, she's tall. Oh my God. Who is this queen? I don't know her name. So in my mind, it was playing so fast that I still, still thought it was unreal. The only thing that felt was real was when Rue called my name. And that's when my eyes was bulging, like it was falling out. Because then it was like, Pendrana Heels. I was like, did she just call my name? <laughs> right. What did I just hear? Did yeah. I just win on the first week? Oh, <laughs> what is God. going on? <laughs> no one knows who we are. No one knows who I am. Like, I've met Mo, like, once before, and she still had no idea who I was. And mm. let alone these other girls. So... Um, like obviously when I walked in Cheryl and Blue and Baga knew because they watched the show and I knew who they were but I was literally nobody so for when Rue called my name I was just like oh my god and I completely respect the fact that you put Drag Race Highland in such high esteem and some people do watch the show but that's not necessarily true with the rest of the world Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. consider myself famous. I don't think that people knew who I am. So when I was going into this competition, I am aware that I am a dark horse. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like people, I feel, I feel there's probably a lot of people who are like, oh, there's a drag race Thailand. And like, wouldn't who? even know it. Yeah. Was, yeah. Who exactly? <laughs> I don't know her. Yeah. And and that's certainly the hope on our side is like, and probably for a lot of people is that this is like this awakening of like, wait a minute, where do I see more of this queen and war of this drag? So hoping that this will move the the needle a little on Drag Race Thailand. Yeah, yeah. keeping that positive for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think lots of people have been watching the show more after I've been on, and I'm just so grateful, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, maybe this has been asked before, so I'm sorry if this is like a ho-hum question, but are there any queens from the season that you're closest with since filming? Um, Blue, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm very close to Blue. I, I talk to Juju once in a while and it's always great interactions. Um, I would say I talk to Janie as well. Like most of the girls, like we have a group chat. So we always talk and ask how each other's fine. Like after the last elimination, I made sure Janie was okay. And I asked her and all the girls reach out to me. After It's so funny, isn't it? Even though you won, you don't fully get to experience the fact that you've won because of all the craziness that's happened and you sometimes feel guilty for talking about it and you feel like no you're you have to be happy about it you have to like oh my god it's great but then when you get when you're bombarded with this craziness you feel ashamed of talking about it and so it's such a catch-22 and it takes time to come to terms with it because i'm still taking like i'm i'm still adjusting to it like, I'm not sure. familiar to this, but then when I start talking about it, when I start saying, like, oh, my God, like, I don't know how to deal with it, then I become, like, a self-important, famous thinking person. So it's hard to talk about it. It's not hard to not to talk about it. What do I do? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I can, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here for our Marys, but uh, the folks that knew you, Pangina, and have watched Drag Race Thailand, when you won that first episode, I mean, we were all, as fans, over the moon. We were like, finally, we felt this sense of just like pride um, for you, just because 
it's almost like like we said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but just like our friend from summer camp, uh, everybody's finally getting to see how awesome they are that we've been talking about them for so long. So yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, from my perspective as a viewer, and this is so easier said than done, especially from someone that's experienced like hate from people that I've never seen before. But uh, there, you we have to find ways to just really only see the people right. that that are there in front of the room right in the room yeah. that that want to be there you know yes yes agreed well let's talk about that sphinx look mary tell us okay. about how that was conceived when you think of cats obviously you think of hair you think mm -hmm. of certain features about a cat and i was like how can i make this the most avant-garde cat possible and with me i love the relationship between ugly and beauty the relationship where people could understand it and might not understand it so i went to the most avant-garde artist uh fashion designer in thailand who is pipakat prapakas who is like so ahead of his time and he sketched this cat and in the beginning when i was talking to art about it because Art literally had a hand in every single outfit that I wore. And she was like, why don't you become a Siamese cat? And I was like, M Manila did that already, right? Mm -hmm. It was Manila, right? Yeah. And then I was like, it's so easy for me to come from Siam and to do a Siamese cat. I was I like, see. let's do the weirdest cat that we can think of. The Sphinx cat. It oh. has no hair. It yeah. has just has it all. All of its bodies is just skin and creases and how do we make it fashion so we thought about it and then um Pagad was like i wanted to have six nipples and then jimbo thought of something similar as well which is amazing so i was like oh my god jimbo we thought kind of alike um yeah. <laughs> but with the cat we had a reveal as well which was like like this beautiful, very heavy taffeta that covered the entire outfit. And then when we did the reveal, it had these structures with the shoulders and it uh. was, the silhouette was very Maleficent-like. So mm -hmm. it had this devilish quality. So I wanted people to be like, yes, that is aesthetically pleasing, but also scary at the same time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there was. It's interesting watching. We've seen lots of cats on the runway, um, and they're usually cute. It's usually kind of like, oh, how nice or sexy, you know, like, oh, look at that slutty cat. And then to have one come out like your look that's to be feared and revered. Yes. was just so fascinating to, to to see how that was done with it being a sphinx cat being a hairless cat how the train almost became a tail that there was yeah. a way that it was a, a cat costume but it was not a costume it was this fashion moment i can't praise this look enough the beaded eyes the oh. necklace the choice of the lip to kind of bring out the 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 blue in the, the blue. necklace oh yeah. my god it was just so elegant and I, I I just absolutely gagged. And it was the first look that came out of that ball, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. which I, I it, it, it set such a high standard, I think, for the rest of of, of that challenge. Um, Thank you. This, let's talk about the second look. Uh, yeah. We already kind of touched on the Ferragamo scarf. Uh, yeah. Tell us more. Tell us more. What is a bitch? Well, or, or what? The... Well, <laughs> I sounded like my landlord in that description. <laughs> I, I, my accent is so broken when I get so like 
excited. So I was like, what is a butch? <laughs> what is a butch? Hunting. What is a dra- what is a queen? Queen of England. Put it together. I literally, oh my God. I don't even know. So like listening, <laughs> listening that back to me, I was like, oh my God. Now I know I'm there. I am definitely from Asia. Um, <laughs> well, your landlord could be your Snatch Game character. You know? Yeah, that's well, true. Wouldn't Hold that be that. fun? Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, well, with that look, the one thing that I did mention about the cat outfit was that if you see that I was walking a little bit weird with a cat runway, it was because mm. my shoe broke five minutes before going onto the stage. And Blue I didn't know that. Oh, my. Yeah. Blue oh, tied my, my shoe um, on together. And she literally, with her costume on, bent down, tied my entire shoe down, and just like, you got this. So my mind was like completely broken because it was like, I was about to go on five minutes before and my shoe broke. Right. And that's why I was walking weird. Every single outfit that I did on the runway, I practiced with the costume many times with a runway coach. So with the with the cat look, I tried to did an S curve and tried to walk slow to get that regal oh, effect wow. of the cat, like you said. Because if, if it's an Egyptian cat, I did not want it to look like a house cat. So right. the movements are slower. Everything was mm. thought out. So when it came to the Butch Queen, I was like, it's time for me to let go and become this character and um, be the butches that I can be. Um, so I thought of my 20-year-old self when I would try to pick on trade and was like holding a beer and uh, was wearing a polo jacket that said police on for no reason so that I can get trade. And I was like, well, let's channel that energy and go down the runway. And I just had the best time. It's also in the back of my mind was like to show people was like, you said that I could only be pretty, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, oh, right. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, again, there is there. There's a sense of performance to both of these runways that uh, complement the look. They elevate the look, and it's it's very studied. It's very uh, it's it's a, a smart way to compete. I think. Um, and you know, there's some queens that come down, and it's like you did nothing with your look. I got nothing from you. You were just showing us this look. I'm not talking about anybody on this season. So Mary's do not come for yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, no I'm just names. talking about in general. Um, so the third look, the Parisian yes. um, RuPaul spirit, where were you when you were creating this look? Um, Mentally? I don't, I don't know if I can mention this, but I was so concentrating on my outfit that I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I had my head down the entire time. If you see, I was running around because I did not want to waste a minute because hand sewing takes a long time. So I was working on the outfit like meticulously and over time and I not over time, you know, but I was in such a concentrating mode that art was in the back of my mind said you better not fuck this up with the design challenge because you're friends with me and i am a designer and i took classes with art i took so many classes not fashion history but sewing like before i went to the show i did like over 20 types of dress designs for wow on my mannequin just to practice and one of the most important thing that art said was like do not design a dress if you cannot envision envision what it looked like and 
when I had the picture in my mind, I, what of one I wanted to create, I just went for it and there was no time. And if you actually saw the fabric of what I did in the beginning, I tied a rubber band behind the fabric and inverted it so that mm-hmm. it created those textures. And then I sewn on top of it. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. You had mentioned in your Instagram live that there, it was actually like you could wear it two different ways. Well, once I created that structure and the corset, um, I, I literally was like, well, I could wear it over the shoulder or underneath my arms. So oh. I created this hook, two types of hook that I could put it in different placements. And that's why after the judges was like, it didn't cover you enough as a dress. Um, I made sure when I came back on the runway to wear it the way that they would like it. But in my mind, because my body structure, I have short legs, I wanted to show the leggings as much as possible to elongate my legs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you were wearing leggings, not for nothing. I'm going to just be, you don't have to comment on this, Panjana, if you do, if you can't. But like as a viewer, I've seen RuPaul wear the shortest fashion dresses with leggings and it's it's about the moment it's about what's being presented and i don't know i'm gonna speak for some marys that probably agree with me but like there's no question in my mind that you should have also been in the top this week both of these three looks were so well done and the fact that you made this uh by hand uh, just deserves so much praise. And uh, I, I can't stop gagging about your performance this week. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned how you were very, very focused because the edit this uh, episode showed us a lot of uh, drama with Vaga and how, uh, especially the the coming back, the day of the elimination, the day of the runway, uh, that you were rouging up Vaga's dress. Was your dress already done? You want the honest truth? Yeah. Yes, it was already done. My outfit, like, literally, uh, that's why I can't blame anyone. So when I was done with my outfit, um, I was like, I had time. So I went over to Vaga's outfit while she wasn't in the room and we were off camera. And I was, like, sewing her outfit because I was like, I don't want to ask for permission if I can work on her outfit because I don't know how she would feel about it. And so when I did it and she came back, then it was on camera and then she was just really appreciative she was just like almost crying and Mm. i was i was like no it's fine like i don't want anyone to look bad i really care for you i care for all the girls the way that it was presented was you were helping baga and meanwhile you got critiqued because your look was you know oh no my outfit no i did not know that's why i took all the blame it's because my outfit was done that my outfit right. was done. So if I thought it was done and the judges think that it was unfinished, then it's only my damn fault. Because right. when I, when I, when it was all done, my outfit was done, it's how I wanted to present it. So right. once I place that on the plate for the judges to see, and if they say that they think that I should have covered that, then that's my fault. Because I had extra time and I yeah. wasn't using it to just like skip around. I was using <laughs> it to help the girls. So obviously you've now been a, you've been a contestant, you've been a host. Uh, I don't need, they're probably apples and oranges to compare, but like, what's your take on having done both sides of the judges table? Being mm-hmm. as a judge, people, you have this certain power that people value and people are auto- automatically suddenly somewhat afraid of you. Um, so being on that side, I show up, I get paid, 
I have I get paid to send people home, right. which is right. so sad. Right, um, but a weird job, and yeah. that's such a weird job, and that's why for me I was so blasé when I do have to send people home because I've been doing it like a lot with my career, um, and people don't realize that it doesn't reflect on their talent. Mm-hmm. A competition never reflects on how amazing that person is. If you think about a dance competition, just because you lost this battle today does not mean that you're a better dancer. It might be because that song was better for you. It might be because you know that DJ better. It might be mm. because you were in that moment better. doesn't mm. mean you're a worse dancer than the other person at all. It just right. means at that moment, someone else was feeling the moment more. Or it could be because of, um, you know, someone was playing the game. You never know. It, it's a produced TV show as well. When I think about Drag Race, like it, mm-hmm. it's a show. It's a TV show that's depicting a competition, and I, I just feel like there's this, this thing that happens where you know you, you have to just kind of be aware of that the whole time. That yes, some people go home, and that's yeah. what happens. And it might be me this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now that you've done UK versus the world, and you've talked about. You, you kind of envision, you know, this is what I want to have happen. And you've gotten to this level. And I feel like it's like climbing a mountain. You get to a plateau and then there's a new peak to reach for. Do you have a sense of now that you've gotten to this level, what are you manifesting next? Oh, that's so funny. Um, I've actually, as a drag queen, I, in Thailand, we don't see many drag queens on billboards or mm-hmm. on fashion magazines. Um, so I manifested once like coming back, I was like, I want to be in a high fashion magazine. And so it's coming out pretty soon. I was in Vogue. I am going to be, yeah, I am going to be on a cover of Posh magazine, like the cover. I'm going to be in L'Officiel magazine, shot by the best photographer, wearing $40,000 worth of real diamonds. Um, (laughs) This month, yeah. This month, and I've never worn real diamonds before, and they were so cold. It was like a fantasy. Um, I'm going to be on billboards for Zipmex all over town. So the visibility of a drag queen is going to be everywhere. And yeah. it's because I, whenever I was like, I manifested it, but I was like, I went up to like a jeweler, called up five people, and was like, I want to borrow your jewelry because I am worthy. Or with the fashion magazine, it was like, I represented my country, give me the airtime. Or with the billboard, I was like, you need to know why I need to be on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I, I love this running theme of like, instead of asking for permission, like you come in with the receipts of like, no, let me just let you know why the answer is yes. Yeah. It's, yes, uh, exactly. to remember that. Yeah. Pangina, tell us about uh, any upcoming kind of events or tours. What's coming up for the for the future of Pangina Heels? Well, where are you guys at? We're in New York. I'm coming to New York in March. Oh, get out of town. Oh, I do get into town, actually. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing my first U.S. tour in March. And then my second U.S. tour in May with DragCon. And then I'm going on a UK tour and then Tel Aviv, Japan, um, and Amsterdam for this year. 
So it was kind of crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What does the yeah. tour look like? What does that look like? What are you going to be doing? What's the, what's the show? I, well, first of all, I'm traveling quite a lot. I'm doing, I think three, three performances per night. Hopefully I get to do my talent show in front of people. Cause I think a lot of people like that. Um, but I'm working on a solo show as well. Cool. Man. That's amazing. That will that will be fun, and I, I I hope to be bringing um, real whacking to the forefront. Okay. Oh, all right, all right. Well, real real whacking. Yeah. Whacking. Well, we will be looking for that in March. I'm gonna have my whacking glasses on, and if I see any fake whacking, <laughs> it's over. I'm leaving. <laughs> Anything else we haven't covered that you want to let the Marys know, or at the very least, where to reach you if they want to queen out with you, you know, on social media? I'm obviously on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, um, on TikTok as well, under Pendrana Heels. I am now, as speaking of manifesting, I am now a brand ambassador of Pulse Clinic, which talks mm. about sexual health, because I think, you know, sexual health is very important, as important as like mental health and physical health. And there's so much shame around sex and I've always talked about it so that people are aware and they take care of themselves. I could go on all day asking you questions about Drag Race Thailand, about your drag, about UK versus the world, but uh, it's getting pretty late in Thailand. We're going to let you go, but I just have to say from the bottom of my heart and my heels, thank you, Pangina, for giving your time to us today. This, I feel like our audience is going to lose their fucking minds when they hear this episode. So thank you for providing that opportunity. <laughs> Thank you, Colin and Johnny. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Panjana, you are always welcome on All Right, Mary. Always. Anytime you want to come on to talk about uh, anything fun, we would love to have you. For sure. It's been a pleasure. And um, keep up the amazing work. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Panjana. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 